Hi there, Paula Eamon here with a heart full of love for you and a heart's desire to encourage you to endure this short life with joy and hope, by the grace of God, for the glory of God. You're listening to Cloud of Witnesses. Over the last two weeks, I shared with you the first two messages my husband preached to the teens at Red Cliff Bible Camp a few weeks ago. Each message was intended to set the foundation for the rest of his messages. In message one, he reminded us that Jesus has all authority and deserves to be listened to. His second sermon built on that concept by first pointing out our tendencies to doubt what Jesus said. Jason taught us four tools for fighting that skepticism, being in awe of what Jesus has said, accepting his salvation by faith through grace, being thankful for all he has done, and worshiping him. His third message dealt with the topic of identity. If God has all authority, then He is the one who tells us who we are. And that has to do with our union with Christ. I found this message so very encouraging. To think that I can be united with Almighty God. Absolutely amazing. Now to episode 16, Rooted and Grounded in Christ, part 3. Okay, we're going to be in a couple of different passages as we go through um, our session right now. And really, I guess in a lot of ways, what we're going to talk about in this session is going to set us up for the following two messages, okay, tonight and Saturday morning, all right? And I want to move a little bit from big concepts to more personal concepts, more personal application, okay? Uh, And it really, um, okay, we're going to abandon that idea. It really happens when we answer uh, one specific question, okay? In the light of everything that we've talked about so far, okay? Listening to God through Jesus, through his word, dealing with skepticism and doubts. Now, we want to bring this down even a little, bit, a little bit more personal. What does God say about who you are? Now, <clears throat> how, how do you answer that question or how can you answer that question? So I want, I want you to feel free to interact with me a little bit here. How do you answer the question, who are you? If I asked you, who are you? What would you say? A Christian. What's that? A Christian. a Christian. Okay. You can identify yourself by what you believe. Good. Somebody else have one. Yes. Okay. Created in God's image. Man, you guys are listening great. Fantastic. How else? How else can you identify yourself? Your name, right? I am fill in the blank, right? Your name. You can identify yourself by your name. How else? How else can you identify yourself? Yeah. Your occupation. I am a builder. Right? You can put a lot of different things in that blank. Good. What else? Your parents and grandparents. Yeah. I've been talking to, I've been talking to several of you, and, and we figure out at the, uh, in the course of the conversation, oh, yeah, I know your dad, right? So-and-so is my dad. Oh, I, I know that, right? Your parents and your grandparents. Good. What else? Somebody else had one. Yes. I'm a redeemed child of God. Okay. Excellent. By your country. Your country. I'm an American, right? Reputation. Your reputation. Good. What else? Your gender. Your gender. Yes. Yeah, American. Where I live. Okay. You can fill in this blank in a lot of different ways. Right? And it's kind of difficult to understand how we should answer that question. Right? Who am I? 
Oftentimes, we talk about forming your identity or finding your identity or changing your identity, right? Those are kind of some of the phrasing that we use with this concept of identity. I read a a really helpful article by a guy named David Strain, and it divided this into uh, this understanding of our identity into three broad categories, okay? Category number one, we can oftentimes identify ourselves by work or play, right? I'm an athlete, and some of you mentioned this already. I'm an athlete, or I'm an artist, or I'm a musician, or I'm, uh, I'm a tradesman, or I'm a hard worker. We can identify ourselves by work or play. Maybe we could even simplify it to some, in some ways by saying we can identify ourselves by our performance, what we do, right? The actions that we do. So we can identify ourselves by our work or our play, our performance, what we do. Some of you also mentioned this one. We can identify ourselves by our history, um, where we've come from, right? Our pedigree. That maybe we can identify ourselves as a survivor or a victim, or we can identify ourselves by our family name or our ethnicity or our race or the fact that we live in the city or we live in the country or we live in America, right? We can identify ourselves by some of those things. Uh, the third category that he gave is that we can identify ourselves by our sexuality, by our passions defined by what we love, right? Whether I'm gay or I'm straight or I'm bisexual or I'm pansexual, all kinds of different identifying factors. So now we come back to the question I asked at the beginning, who are you, right? When you kind of begin to meld all of these things together, it can become a soupy mess, especially as you're growing up, especially as you're at this phase of life. Who are you? Well, maybe you haven't had a lot of experiences in life and you're not quite sure who you are, right? Now, my goal here is, with the help of the Spirit and the truth of the Word of God, I want to convince you that it's better to submit yourself to what it means to be united with Christ or connected to Christ than it is to come up with your own definition of who you are. We live in a world that gives you the freedom to define who you are, right? They oftentimes encourage you to define who you are, right? Go out and find yourself, which to me has always been a very odd phrase, right? Because I tend to be a lot more literal and say, well, I don't have to find myself. I'm right here, okay? Which also puts you on a really weird train of thought, okay? Okay. Uh, is that something you have to do? Go out and find yourself? Is there, does there have to be this sense of exploration in which you, you find out who you really are? That's what the world will tell you to do. You need, you need some time to go find yourself. Now, all of this world's understanding of who you are is rooted deeply in your freedom to choose who you are and what you want to be. And that partners with this mindset that says you can be anyone you want to be. Is that a biblical concept? Can we be anyone that we want to be? Now, if we take that to mean we live in a time frame in which you have lots of opportunities to explore your skills or your passions, things that you're interested in, or develop Um, uh, uh, interesting skills in which you can use later in life, 
Well, maybe, maybe that's kind of true, but I'm not sure that that's the concept that the world wants to give you. They want to give you this concept that you can be anyone you want to be, okay? Uh, growing up, I loved football, okay? Uh, and believe it or not, when I was in high school, I didn't break 150 pounds, I think until I was maybe a junior or a senior, right? I was very small. <laughs> um, those two things did not go together really well, right? Mr. Dean played football, but Mr. Dean can play football, right? He's built for football. I'm not built for football. Now, as much as I wanted to be a football player, does that mean that that's something that I can do? No, I can't, I can't do that, right? Could I be an astronaut? My eyes are terrible. Like, I could never see to land a, land a space shuttle. It'd be ridiculous. Can you really be anything that you want to be? And is that the framework with which we should be even making those decisions? Now, this, this thinking about life gives us the authority as an individual to determine all of the things that I really want to be. And it really flies in the face of what we just went through from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 of, of yielding ourselves in subjection to who God created me to be. Right? And that's a completely different story, isn't it? It, it shifts from uh, me being able to identify myself in whatever way I feel free to, to me subjecting myself to what God has said and living in joyful submission to him. Uh, those questions that we talked about in our previous session come into play here. Did God really say? Is he holding something back for me? This type of focus, this worldly type of focus on the fact that you can be whatever you want to be, you can be whoever you want to be, places the authority squarely on yourself to make yourself who you want to be. Now, I want to take this another step further because there's a danger here even in the sense that we can spiritualize this. Um, phrases like, I've decided to find my identity in Christ. Now, that sounds good, right? And I'm glad now that you have, you have moved from doing whatever I want to do to finding my identity in Jesus Christ, but I think it still places the authority and the power with the individual. I get to choose who I am, and now I choose that I am going to find my identity in Jesus Christ. And I want to shift this conversation some from identity to union. Now, I'm going to describe what I mean by union here in just a second. And, and maybe we, I'll, I'll even use this synonym, connection. Right? I'm defined by my connection to Jesus Christ rather than whoever I say that I want to be. All right? <clears throat> this, this is a little bit different. right? And I think union understanding my union or my connection to Jesus Christ is way better than speaking, thus, speaking of this in terms of identity, right? I'm shifting the responsibility. I'm shifting the responsibility from me to God. Rather than asking you who you are, really in, in, in understanding our union or our connection with Christ, I am asking the one who made me to help me understand who he made me to be. Who do you say that you are versus who does God say that you are? Right? Those are two completely different questions, aren't they? 
Now, <clears throat> again, we're built, we built to this point because now we can say, hey, remember, God has the authority of creation behind him, right? He created everything, and therefore he has the authority to tell you who he made you to be. And we have the authority of redemption, that God through Jesus Christ has redeemed you. He has bought you back from the slave market of sin and therefore has the right and the authority to tell you who you are. He's rescued you from sin and therefore can tell, can tell you who you should be. But this is a terrifying thought, isn't it? It's absolutely terrifying. And especially, now, for me as an uh, older than you, and increasingly older, it's not quite as terrifying because my options have been significantly limited, <laughs> okay? At this point in time, any kind of athletics are just out of bounds, right? There is no possible way. I'm gonna pull something, or strain something, or hurt something, and then it's icy hot for a long time, okay? So there's a lot of stuff that's out of bounds. But for you all, at this phase of your life, this is terrifying. You have all kinds of opportunities in front of you you have all kinds of options in front of you. And to take the step to say, okay, I'm not, I am going to subject myself to the one who made me and the one who redeemed me to help me understand who I am and what he wants me to be. And it's terrifying because we have to yield control to someone else. And we struggle, as we've already mentioned, we struggle to believe not only that God could know me like that, but that God would actually call me to do something good, would help me understand what it means to live my life in some way that's good, right? We have this concept that I can either go have fun or I can do what God wants me to do, right? And we put those two things in contrast to one another and we set them up as com two completely different pathways. Well, I can either go do whatever I want to and have fun or I can do what God wants me to do, which is not going to be fun or anything that I want to do. Well, that's not really how the Bible talks about this. And if you walk down through the historical uh, 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 accounts of people who have lived their lives for God, it's not what they would say either. As a matter of fact, you know what you would find? Uh, we could go back to the book of Hebrews, okay? We go back to the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11. It walks through the examples of all of these lives of people who lived with a clear understanding of who God wanted them to be and followed him at whatever cost. And you know, as you get towards the end of Hebrews chapter 11 and in, into Hebrews chapter 12, you know what it says? That this is a great, these people who have done this are a great cloud of witness, witnesses that testify to us of the truth that it's worth it to follow Jesus. It's worth it. Not that it, it, not that it was ever uh, completely painless, but that it was valuable. So I know that this may be terrifying but I want to walk through what it means to be united to Christ, to find our union with Christ. So here's my definitions. I, we've got to define a couple of things, right, to help us make our way through this. Uh, we're, we're going to talk some about self-identity, and that's kind of what I described at the beginning. What, what is this? What is self-identity? It's me maintaining the right to define who I am according to my own desires and my own wisdom. 
right? What are we talking about when I talk about union with Christ or my connection to Christ, okay? Two, two different definitions, my union with Christ. Me submitting to who God says that I am as I am connected to Christ and then living in the reality of those truths, right? I know those are big definitions. We'll describe them as we go along, okay? So for the rest of this session, we're just going to talk about what it means to be united to Christ, okay? and I'll give you the game plan at the end of the session too. And then tonight, tomorrow morning, we're going to walk through Romans 8, and we're going to talk about some specifics. What does it mean to be united to Christ? I think you're going to find some incredibly hopeful things there, okay? But scripture is filled with these union statements, especially in the New Testament. Um, if you uh, look up in a concordance or if you use a digital Bible and you do a search for something like in Christ or in Jesus or in him or in whom, you're going to find hundreds of references of what it means to be in Christ. And this is why I am proposing to you that we shift from using identity to union, right? Because the New Testament doesn't really talk about identity. It talks about union. It talks about who I am in Christ, right? This is the characteristic of us. And, and scripture describes our union with Christ in at least four broad ways. Now, this is, gonna, this is where we're going to dive into scripture, and this is going to set the table for where we go into Romans chapter 8, okay? So how does scripture describe our union with Christ? The first way it describes it is that it's a mysterious connection. We are spiritually connected to Christ. And by mystery, I mean a biblical truth that is not completely concrete or easy to understand. Okay? Um, if you've grown up in a Christian home, you've used the phrase probably many, many times that Jesus lives in me. Right? Okay, have you ever stopped to think about that phrase? That's kind of weird. Right? It's kind of weird. Another entity, another being lives inside of me. Now, if you describe this outside of a Christian context to some kind of psychologist, they would probably put you on drugs, right? What's your problem? Are you schizophrenic? Do you have all, these, all kinds of these problems, right? Yes, but it's clear in Scripture, right? It's clear in Scripture that we are united to Christ and he is in me and I am in him. But what does that specifically mean? Well, I, I think this is an area in which you have to get comfortable with spiritual mysteries. God can't be fully described by our systems. Uh, by definition, he is infinite and therefore incomprehensible. Uh, although he's knowable, there are aspects of this that we won't fully be able to comprehend. What does it mean that Christ is in me? Do we really fully comprehend what it means that we are in Christ? Well, I believe that we can understand some things about this. So let's try to pursue a couple of those understandings. One, that this is a spiritual connection, right? It's not simply a rational connection to Christ. I don't just mentally know Jesus. I experientially know him. I don't just uh, rationally understand the truth that he gives to me in Scripture. I emotionally and internally understand that truth, don't I? It's, it's a connection that we have through the Spirit of God, okay? Let's look at a couple of scripture texts that will help us with this. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, okay? Ephesians 2. The spiritual connection that we have with Christ where we are described as in Him. 
Okay. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, okay. Uh, 22 is where we're going to focus on, but let's back up just a little bit. Okay. Um, it's talking about this connection that we have in Christ. Verse 18, for through him, through Christ, we both, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We have a connection through the Spirit to God the Father. And because of this, we are therefore now more, no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Uh, let me pause for just a second there, verse 19. One of the ways that we identify ourselves is where we've come from, right? We're Americans. You know what union does for us? You know what this connection to Christ does for us? It pushes us beyond geographical boundaries, to where my identity doesn't simply lie in the fact that I live in a particular country. How often in scripture are we pushed outside of our geopolitical boundaries to an identity that says, I belong to a different country. I am a citizen of a different kingdom. As one who has been bound to Jesus Christ, my affections, my loyalties, my supreme Loyalties lie with a different country. I'm not of this country, right? I'm beyond that. And this is what he said. We're no, we're no more strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I belong to a different place, right? And verse 20, and I'm built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being himself the chief cornerstone, in whom, there's one of those phrases that I was talking about, in whom, in Jesus, in Christ, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. I'm connected together with other people who are also connected to Jesus, and we're built together, verse 22, in whom ye are also builded together for a habitation, a dwelling place of God, through the Spirit. We are connected to other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We're connected to God through the Spirit. So this isn't just a rational connection to Christ. This is a spiritual connection to Him. We're built up together through the Spirit. Okay? Uh, we'll look at this a little bit later as well. But um, uh, look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to get here and we're going to take a lot more time in Romans chapter 8 because there's just some fantastic things there. Romans 8, but we'll mention this one, okay? Romans 8. This talks about this spiritual union with Christ and it likens it to a building, right? That we're built together in this building. Paul in Romans chapter 8 uses this spiritual union with Christ and references it in the context of a family, right? Verse 16. Uh, Romans 8.16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We've been connected together in a family. Okay? And uh, again, family, I think it would be one of those concepts that would help us understand union with Christ. What does it mean to be part of your family? I mean, can you identify certain rational aspects that help you understand what it means to be part of your family? Well, not really. There's some scientific underlying to that, right? You share some DNA, right? And we can identify scientifically that you belong to a certain family. But there's also a spiritual connection there, right? To your parents and your siblings. There's something more than just rationality to it. 
Our connection to Jesus Christ is a spiritual one. And it's the Spirit of God that connects us to Him. And it's not simply a connection of ideas or friendships. But it's this essential connection to Him where our spirit understands that we are connected to Christ and we have benefits because of that. So this is a mysterious connection that we have to Jesus. Then it's a legal connection that we have to Jesus. Okay? Um, we have been made free from our sin because of Jesus Christ. Jesus took on himself our sins. All right, 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 24. 1 Peter 2, 24. This is what it says. Who his own self, Jesus, his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Okay? Jesus, as the substitute, took all of my sin. Okay? And my connection to him relieves me of my sin. Okay? This, is, this is the essential nature of our salvation. Right? Can I get rid of my sin any other way? Is it, as the world would like you to believe, like uh, God's at the top of a mountain and there's a whole bunch of different trails to get there? No, there's only, there's only one trail. There's only one pathway. And if it's outside of my connection to Jesus Christ, you know what, as, as uh, 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 Bunyan's allegory in Pilgrim's Progress, I continue to walk on this path with a load of sin on my shoulders. And it wasn't until Christian in Pilgrim's, in Pilgrim's Progress saw the cross that his burden fell off. It's not until you are connected to Jesus Christ that you will ever find forgiveness of your sins. And it's only in a connection to Jesus Christ that you will find forgiveness of your sins. Not only that, as we mentioned last night, not only did God take all my sins in Jesus, but he gave me all of Jesus' righteousness. Here's what it says. Well, again, we'll deal with this as we get to Romans 8, but I want to mention it here because it helps us understand this connection that we have to Jesus Christ. And if Christ, this is Romans 8, verses 10 and 11, and if Christ be in you, there's the connection. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He gives you life because of his righteousness. He takes upon himself my sins. He gives me his righteousness then he justifies me. He declares me to be righteous. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? You have to be in Jesus to get justified by his grace. If you are not in Jesus, there is no justification. This justification being this declaration of righteousness. Okay? Outside of Jesus, there is no righteousness. Inside of Jesus, there is righteousness. There's this legal connection that God, because of Jesus, can legitimately declare me to be free from all of my sin. And it's only in him. It's only in Christ but it's not just a legal connection. It's, not, it's, it's more than that, right? 
We experience justification. We experience forgiveness because we are in Christ. The third way that scripture defines this union that we have with Christ is that it's a loving connection. So it's a spiritual connection. It's a legal connection. This is a loving connection. It's a connection in which we are able to know and experience the love that we were created for because of our connection to Jesus Christ. And it's described most prominently in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5, reflected in this marriage relationship. Okay? A lot of times we go to Ephesians chapter 5 to get marriage advice. You know what Ephesians chapter 5 is? Marriage is actually the illustration. The point of Ephesians chapter 5 is that you're in Christ. He says it there in verse 32, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. This is a great mystery, this mystery of marriage. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. What's his point? His point is that you have been united or connected to Jesus Christ in a way that is loving. And it fleshes itself out. It exemplifies itself in this type of relationship. This is what he says. What is the instruction he gives to the husbands in Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. How, How are husbands supposed to understand what true biblical love looks like? Well, true biblical love looks like Jesus Christ united to his people. He goes on to describe it as sacrificial and sanctifying. The instruction to wives, Ephesians 5.22, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as to the Lord. It's within the context of your connection to Jesus Christ. Romans 8. We're going to get to this Saturday morning. Romans 8, 39. What separates us from the love of Christ? Writer says this, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where you experience the depth of love that you're longing for. In Christ this union that we have, this connection that we have to Jesus Christ, okay? It's mysterious, it's spiritual, right? It's legal, but it's way more than that. And, and, and if we just stop at justification and forgiveness and redemption, those legal terms by which we find forgiveness of sins, you know what we miss out on? I think we miss out on this loving connection that we have. Um, In salvation, what is the greatest benefit? Is it what we get? Or is it who we get? And there's a big distinction between those two things, isn't there? If salvation is simply a change of address, no longer are you under the condemnation of your sin and under the judgment of God, with a destination being hell and separation from him, your address now changes to heaven and you can find forgiveness of your sins and a home in heaven. Is salvation simply a change of address? No longer hell, but now heaven. Is salvation simply the gifts that we get? No longer condemned, but now justified no longer my own sin 
but now Christ's righteousness. It's not, it is those things, but it's not just those things. In all of those things that we get from our relationship to Christ, the greatest of them is that we get him. We get Christ. We get the giver, not just the gift. We get Christ, not just justification. And that's not in any way to diminish the gifts that we get in salvation. They're incredible. But the gifts outside of the giver are not the gifts that you think they are. Come with me very briefly to Revelation. Okay? We're going to fast forward to the end. right? The end of all things in Revelation. Okay? Revelation 21. This is the description of the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? The new heaven and the new earth. John, the writer of Revelation, says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, that word tabernacle is incredibly significant, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. What is the greatness of heaven? Is it the streets of gold? Is it the mansion with some of our kind of cultural attachments to some kind of uh, house or dwelling place? Is that what it is? The greatness and the glory of heaven is that we will be with him. Look, friends, you are never going to endure difficult things in your life with a place as an objective. It's, you're never going to endure if just your mindset is simply locked into, well, I've got heaven as a location. I don't endure for places. I endure for people. I don't keep trusting God when life stinks because of streets of gold. I keep trusting God when life stinks because I have Christ. Hebrews 11 walks through all of these people who made incredible demonstrations of faith. What does Hebrews chapter 12 start off with? Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. What does Revelation tell us? The joy of heaven is God himself. Your connection to him and the gifts that you get from that pale in comparison with your relationship with the person. Jesus Christ. The greatness of heaven is that God is with men and we will be with him and he shall be our God. Is that what your salvation is to you? Is it this loving union that you have with a person in which you find joy and fulfillment, and peace. 
When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get way more than just the gifts. You get him. And if you find yourself unmotivated to live for Christ, then you need to start focusing on him rather than just what he gives you. One last description, okay? Our connection with Christ is mysterious. It's spiritual, okay? It's, um, it's legal. We've been justified, legally justified for all of our sins. It's loving, okay? It's life-giving. This is this last identifier that we have of our connection to Jesus Christ. It's life-giving. And Jesus himself says this <clears throat> in John chapter 15. He uses the phrase abide, right? Uh, you can go with me there for just this last couple of minutes here. Abide. John 15. He's just about ready to go to the cross. Okay? His ministry is basically finished. He's, he's encouraging his disciples with, with these, some, key basic, some key truths that he wants them to rem- remember as they make their way through probably the most difficult circumstance that they have ever experienced. Okay? John 15. He, said, he gives this picture. I am the true vine, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. This is a life-giving connection that we have with Jesus Christ, okay? I want you to do a test. When all the snow melts, <laughs> which may be like uh, August, right? When all the snow melts, I want you to go out to a tree, a, a tree that you have in your yard. Um, you might want to run this by your mom first because this is not, maybe not that kosher. And cut off a branch, okay? And I want you to take that branch and I want you to just set it down in your yard somewhere and I want you to watch what happens, Okay? Now, of course I'm joking. You know what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen? The leaves are going to turn brown, right? There's not going to be any fruit on it. It's going to die. Die, right? So, this is exactly the picture that Jesus is giving to us here. If you are disconnected from him, can you live You can't. You can't. For somebody who claims the name of Jesus Christ, who claims to be a Christian, but doesn't do anything to foster a connection with him, there is no life. And Jesus explains this in John 15, and he explained it at the beginning, right? There's branches that don't bear fruit. Why? Because there's a, there's a missing connection here. There's a missing connection. You are not connected to the source of life. And if you're not connected to that source of life, you will not produce Do you wonder why you struggle with fear and doubt and skepticism? Do you wonder why there doesn't seem to be any spiritual fruit in your life? Are you really connected to him? Because if you were, you can live in a way that pleases him. And there will be life and there will be fruit. Because when you're connected to him, uh, let's, let's flip the end of that verse around, right? Without me, you can do nothing. With me, you can do everything. You can do everything. 
Okay, so hopefully you've seen from this brief overview of what the scripture says about being connected to Jesus, our union with Christ, that there's some significant implications of this. There is no possible way that in two more sessions I can walk through all of them. (laughs) But I do want to walk through three specific ones, okay? Because I think they have significant ramifications for you. So here's the game plan for the next two sessions. I want you to see how your union with Christ changes you in three primary ways, okay? I want you to understand how being united to Christ changes your relationship to your own performance, what you do, what you don't do, okay? Secondly, I want you to see how your union with Christ gives you hope even when things are bleak. Thirdly, I want you to see how your union with Christ satisfies your longing for love, okay? So we're going to dive into Romans 8 over the next two sessions, and we're going to see the impact of what being connected to Christ does to us. We want to encourage you to live in that reality because as much as it's hard to determine in the world around us, those things are real. And I want to encourage you to live in those realities. But we need God's help to make our way through that. So let's close tonight, uh, close this morning in prayer, okay? Father, you have connected us to yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who know you, And it's an incredible connection, a connection that oftentimes we don't understand to its fullest, a connection that we admittedly struggle to live out. But we know that when we're connected to you, there's life, there's love, there's hope. And so I pray that as we progress through these truths, that your spirit would take your word and plant it deep within us. That we would understand more fully what it means to be in Christ. And that we would, with the help of the Spirit, live that out. Live in the reality of what it means to be in Christ. Lord, we know that you haven't left us here purposelessly. But you have given to us clear instructions as to what you have for us. So I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here that they would be encouraged in the truth of what it means to be connected to Jesus Christ. That they would find hope. That they would find love. That their faith would be bolstered because of it. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.